Hi there and welcome back to the ESPN Footy Podcast. G'day everybody, welcome back to the ESPN Footy Podcast once again. My name is Matt Walsh, joined by Jake Michaels and champion artist Christian Jolly. Big thanks to Jared Barker last week, Jake, uh, filling in at late notice. Yes, how was your golf? Uh, no, I, was, I was at home, in, in bed, just feeling a little <laughs> under the weather, and I thought I'd, I'd best not to uh, uh, come into the office and, uh, and uh, spread You're a good tunes, man. No, so. he, he did a great job, as always. Yeah, he'll um, be back next week, too, because uh, you're off for a couple of weeks. I am. Must be very nice getting away to, to Italy, is it? I am, yeah. Wow. Heading away for a couple of weeks, bit of a break, good food, good wine. Excellent. Um, no, that'll be good. So, Joe will be back for a, a couple of episodes and uh, we'll keep cracking on. And Although we shouldn't have him back. Didn't he Didn't he famously say at the start of the year that Hawthorne wouldn't win a game all season? Yeah, that's one of one of the... Uh, the not the... That's up there. One with, of the worst calls That's up on the there pod. with uh, Tread Ray's untenable call <laughs> and uh, Kane Corns' <laughs> Tim Taranto, not a top 150 player. <laughs> Are you just keeping bookmarks on all this sort of stuff? Hey, yeah, people Poor have been Jared. telling me for five years about what I said about Jordan so Yeah, that's fair. Uh, fair enough. A lot to get to today, including the Eagles, and if we've finally, surely hit rock bottom with them, uh, the importance of James Sisley to the Hawks, the thriller between Adelaide and Collingwood, and Damian Hardwick. But before we crack in, Jake, something from the weekend that you uh, noticed that took your fancy? Well... Maybe this is the proof that the Eagles have hit rock bottom because, um, well, you actually pointed this out to me. I hadn't seen it. You you were looking ahead um, on the the odds for next week, round seventeen, mm. and we noticed something yesterday that the so Brisbane's playing Brisbane's hosting West Coast in round seventeen at the Gabba. You, the head to head odds for the Lions a dollar. You 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 bet a million bucks on them and you're getting a million back if they win. You, you're not winning any money. It's changed now to. 1.002 so you're still not making anything but I don't think I've ever seen that before ever that's it's long it's long and it's short sorry well, I mean the Eagles are 51 bucks it's the Eagles fair. are 51 51 dollars which I, look I'm not a betting guy in, in any sense of the word but I think that's usually the price reserved for the draw um, so it's yeah. like that's that's how likely that the bookmakers think the Eagles winning and even, is a draw in any regular game and even at 50 to 1 I don't think anyone's rushing out to put money on West Coast I mean, and that and that kind of just sums up where they're they're at. I mean, jokes aside, with the with the odds and all that, you said have they hit rock bottom? And we probably speculated that four times this year after each of their hundred point losses. But yeah. gee, it's hard to imagine it getting worse than where they are right now. Well, we'll get to the Eagles uh, very shortly. Christian, something from the weekend that took your fancy? Yeah, every now and again you stumble across a stat. So this was just before the weekend, and I was sort of watching uh, intently on. Friday night after I found the stat and it didn't get any better after this weekend but it still holds weight so I think last year was similar uh, had one Morris Rioli last year played about half the games and had was outside the top 100 for total pressure acts but his impact on the scoreboard when he turned the ball over That's for right. Richmond I remember was, this. was on the ones, uh, him back on the scoreboard so we've got one this year not so much pressure but intercept possession so Zach Bailey 27 intercepts this year so that's equal 243rd in the competition the Lions have generated 87 points from his intercepts, which ranks him third in the competition behind two key defenders in Sicily and the second name escapes me at the moment. But yeah, so he's basically, if the opposition kicks the ball anywhere near Zach Bailey and he gets it, Brisbane are going to score going the other way. So he had one intercept on uh, Friday night against the Saints and they didn't convert that into a score. Uh, but yeah, just a, just a sort of a quirky one that he's, as I said, top three for points generated, but outside the top 200 for total. So a lot of these would probably be forward half intercepts. Yes, yeah, so I think it's been 17 of those were forward half intercepts. Um, so nine from the back half as well. So yeah, it's, a, it's comp- competition average is about just under 30% of scoring from turnovers. It's 64% of the time that he, he intercepts the ball that Brisbane scores. He's like not that. exactly the guy that'll just sort of take a mark, intercept mark or whatever and sort of, 
hold up the player. He is kind of looking to go for shark balls yeah. in contests so, or, or it pick probably off is not the most passes. surprising, but yeah, it's pretty impressive. Yeah, very good. Uh, something I noticed. Um, we joke about it all the time, Jake. The GMHBA Stadium down in Geelong constantly under Terrible. construction. It's been under construction my life, in my whole life. What do they, what do they call it? It's like one of those swing uh, electorates in the the election time. So whenever there's election on, they just both both levels of government will throw money at it, and they just keep getting upgrades and upgrades yep. and upgrades. But the latest development, so it is actually slowly taking shape. Would you believe? Slowly. Um. Yeah. Hard to believe, but uh, in, something I noticed. They've started putting chairs in, started putting seats in the grandstand mm. that's under construction to the left of, of your screen, so if you're watching on TV. Um, but there seems to be no method to it whatsoever. You've got one row where there's two seats, a gap for, what, four seats, one seat, a gap, four seats, a gap. And then the next row, you might have five seats, a gap, one seat. It doesn't make any sense. And I, I, I don't know why, but it kept distracting me when I was watching the footy on Thursday night. And I have no idea why... They'd be putting them in so randomly. I just hope it's something spectacular at the end. Where I was looking at it as well, I'm like they're all blue seats, I believe, at the mm, moment. I couldn't see are. any other colour. So whether they build the whole seats out and you get Gary Ablett Jr.'s face or something in the seats, <laughs> I'm waiting for him to surprise. Cool. That's the only reason that's going to sort of make it make sense. But if it just ends up being blue and white seats randomly put there, I don't know why they've. Well, they've got enough cash. Way. They could probably start planning that. Maybe having Gary's uh, Gary's face in the seats that'd be pretty good. Yeah. Kind of like in in uh, European football, I guess, where they've got like yeah, they have the well, they'll have the name of the yeah or the logo sometimes. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's a good idea. But yeah, or maybe they're just going to go with grey. Well, in maybe those they other are. Spots. I hadn't even thought of that. That's a good call. But if someone does know, I'm I'm itching to find out. So at Footy Tips on Twitter, if you can. There's um, something very, I, there's something very local footy about watching a game at GMHBA when there's some Someone's guy in high vis throwing a footy back over the fence after it's, it's a couple of years ago in um, in one of the COVID years they it was a construction site but there were but no it looked, it looks, there was no one like nearby. It is up one Isaac Smith had to go like, into the stands That's to right. go and get a footy. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, uh, another quick one I noticed. Speaking of Geelong, uh, very tenuous link here, but. Joel Selwood spotted in uh, in London at Lords for preparations for the Ashes in a Cricket Australia uniform, no less. What is there anything wrong with that? No, just uh, something that I noticed. Yeah, so, yeah, that's what the, the name. That's of the, what it's for. That's, that's, that's what the uh, the segment's called, Jake. I'm not giving you much on that one. Uh, so yeah, let us know on Footy Tips if you know about the uh, GMHBA seats. Speaking of mm. at Footy Tips on Twitter, we do have a listener question this week. Andrew Whelan does great uh, great work with the Willow ratings. I know that you like that oh, website a lot. It's a fantastic site. Um, yeah, shout out. Good on him. Uh, question for Christian, please. Does Champion Data have expected scores for the Geelong versus Melbourne game in 2011? Uh, noting that Sydney against West Coast this week had 50 scores to Geelong's 48, and West Coast had nine scores to Melbourne's 12. So Sydney got 205 and gave up 34 points, but their expected score was only 185, and West only. Coast outshot them, outshot their expected score and got 37. So I'm he's curious as to how the expected scores compare if available. Yeah, so got pretty excited when that query came through last night. I thought that's a great way to look at it. I've never looked at the expected scores from that game. Um, and I do know that expected scores is based on our pressure capture, which was started in 2010. So I had a pretty good feeling that it would be in there. But to my, uh, yeah, sort of um, sort of pretty flat this morning when I ran the numbers and realized our database for expected scores only goes back to 2013, all because the first couple of years that we had pressure, we didn't have parameters on a uh, on a missed shot so if you completely missed a shot we didn't know whether that was a set shot or general play kick so we know what foot you kicked it with and what pressure you're under just didn't know whether it was set or general so we don't have expected scores for 2010 to 2012 basically and they all start happening at 2013 so no idea what the expected scores were then we we could you go joked back? about it we could you know you could go back and replot the missed shots in that game and and whether they were set shots or general play but 
if you're not doing it for the whole season, you're still going to end up with a false set of data. So Cats put on about five goals more than what the Swans did from two fewer shots. So you'd think maybe the expected scores they might have you know outshot um, what the expected score would have been. And I remember like I haven't watched the full game in a long time, but you go back and watch highlights of that um, game down at uh, at Skilled or whatever it was called back then, Jake. Mm. And some of the goals they literally walked them in. Yeah, there's mm. there's a, I can remember off the top of my head a few handball chains out of the centre. Where it was five handballs they were top of the square, turned around and kicked a goal. Yeah. I just thought they didn't even have to kick the ball at that stage. So. Uh, so an interesting one. Maybe one day we'll get there and you can go back and uh, plot it to, all the way back to at least 2011 and we can find out. But West Coast, so we, we just sort of talked about it. Lost by 171 points on the weekend, Jake. Equal fourth biggest loss in VFL, AFL history. Um, and Christian, you had a good stat that in terms of losses by 40 or more, no team has, has lost more in a row than, than the Eagles. You know, you, you, you can claim that one. So shout out to you for sending that query through. So we had a big table and the same sort of thing, fourth biggest loss ever and equal biggest for Sydney. And nothing sort of came out as, as a brand new record. There were sort of things that hadn't happened for 67 years. But the one that, yeah, finally we sort of uh, celebrated um, within the office when you sent this query through and we ran the numbers. So they've had 12 straight 40-point losses. Um, so going back to round three this year, uh, which is the most ever. So North Melbourne last year, I think we spoke about it and it was about round 16, up up until round 16 last year, where North Melbourne had 11 40-point losses in a row. And I think we were talking about the same thing about North Melbourne, how dire the situation was. Mm, Fitzroy comparisons. Things didn't look like it was any, getting any better. They just couldn't get their hands on the ball. When they did, they couldn't score. Um, so yeah, West Coast have overtaken that to be, to be 12. And... Before that, I mean, Fitzroy in 95 was the last team that had eight 40-point losses in a row. So the last two years of North having 11 and West Coast having 12 were just unheard of in the history of the game. It's concerning. The number that probably uh, stuck out to me was the fact that over that two week, the last two weeks, their cumulative losing margin is 293 points. If you go back to the, the game against Adelaide, then they had the bye and then the Sydney game. So, so you add up... That you was add... the second biggest two-week margin ever, so... Which is just... It's incredible, and I, I I know it's a little bit different, but I just thought pick a pick a good team at the moment. Let's go Melbourne, and then we think how far back do you need to go with them adding up each one of their losses before you get to two hundred ninety three points? You got to go back to bear with me, round 15, 2020, 67 games before you get that before you hit the, the two hundred ninety three point yeah. losing cumulative margin. I mean, it's just. It's insane what how bad they are at the moment. Is this the rock bottom though? Well, like I, think I, I said keep before, saying, I keep saying, like, oh, I keep thinking, we keep discussing. Yeah, this is it. This is the bottom. You know, three hundred point losses. Yeah, now it's four. Yeah, you know, the problem and now is it's the bottom. The problem is, we still have what nine games to go. At, at some point, it's just going to be, if not already, the, the players are just going to give up. And we sort of saw Saturday. that in the second half. Like some of the some of the stoppage work was just non-existent. And the worry is, and and you know, we were joking about Brisbane before. If you're Brisbane, do you rest like not necessarily half your team, but do you rest four or five of your star players? I mean, it's something to to consider, and I think teams are going to look to do that in, the, in the back half of the year. Percentage is going to matter, so it's the yeah. other way around. It's like, well, can we really use every this other as a team's beating booster? up on the Eagles? Yeah, we we need to get that extra game of percentage against the Eagles. So it's that fine balance of if the other if teams keep smashing them, it's getting going to get harder to rest yeah. your players. And, and we're them. and that's a good point. We're seeing teams gaining seven, eight, nine percent percentage points, which this deep in the season is just crazy. Yeah, so you need to catch that. And and I think the other thing you talk about in terms of you know players giving up and things, I think the story that's come out recently about Jake Waterman having to play mm. for two weeks injured and you know his career yeah, maybe in the balance. Over, it's, it's, in, it's in the balance. How many other players are playing 
through duress, again, having to get on the plane every second week, well. coming back early, you just playing about... when they're not ready. So yep. it's it's perpetually just uh, just falling on top of itself, the Eagles. The more they get hurt, the more they have to play uninjured players, the more they get smashed, and it all just keeps going around again. Um, you talk about if maybe the Lions resting players. I mean, their VFL team is second on the ladder well, quite comfortably mm. with a percentage of 162. Yeah, I, I don't think it's a crazy... Um, because... You th- it, it's a fine margin because you don't want to you you you'd love to give your players a little bit more rest, um, but you don't want to do it too late in the season because we know with the pre-finals buy and all that you end up you could end up not playing one game in five weeks if you yeah. rest players and then you have the buy and then you win. Mm. So I, I think teams are going to look to do it. Um, you're probably not going to rest half your half your best team, but you know two or three players that um, maybe guys in their thirties. I, I don't I think that's not crazy take or, or anything un, you know out of the ordinary so the latest is that the strength and conditioning manager's gone so he'll he'll depart at the end of the season is that the first of many dominoes to fall I mean the talk continues to be around Adam Simpson but the payout would be enormous because he's contracted through 2025 I'm pretty sure so the question is always sort of you know you've got, you've got to sack the coke you can't put mm. up with this you know a lot of these sort of you know really knee-jerk reactions you see on Twitter from commentators of various areas being like they have to sack Simo but what does that achieve? Well, really, nothing, nothing really what does that achieve term, in the short really. term? You might get the dead cat bounce that we've talked about a bit, where you get a little bit more effort for a couple of weeks. But at the end of the day, the team is what it is. And it will exactly. revert to this, and you've gotten rid of a premiership coach. For what? You'll have to pay him out early and all this sort of stuff. So is but, he the next domino? Well, Is it CEO Trevor Nisbet? Been there since 1999. See, I'm big, and going back to Adam Simpson, and I'm big on something needs to change. And the only thing that can really change mid-season is the coach, unfortunately. So, But again, I would go a different way. If you want to back Adam Simpson in, he's going to coach you for the next few years, that's great. Don't know how you manage it in a PR sense of thing, but just give him leave now. He's, he's on he, Either he joins the recruiting this, team and starts yeah. watching the championship. Just get him out of the coach's box. Mm. Give him his job and say, yep, come back at the start of 2024 and, and do your on-field coaching. Do you coaching. think he wants to be there? I don't know, but at the moment, as I said, body languages. You, you watched on, on Saturday and it was just something has to give. You can't just keep rolling out the same 23 to 29 players with the same coach and the same assistant coaches. And, and you can't get rid of assistant coaches during the year. Mm. I don't know what getting rid of a CEO mid-year does. So I think they just they just need to send Anders Simpson away. So Fresh outlook on the business because really their list management's been dire the last few years. Yep. Um, we talked about the, the list profile the aging stars that they've had on the list thinking they can go yeah. one more year after uh, after the premiership in 2018 2020 covid happens and they sort of started falling apart then some of their um some of their drafting over the last 10 years has been pretty dire it's been, as well it's been diabolical so you know 2020 um a couple of years after the flag their first pick was no pick number 52 in 2029 their first pick was sorry 2019 uh, their first pick was 49. In 2018, it was 28. In 2017, yeah. it was number and you're 13. Just, and at that, Jared Brand has played that 20 point, games. You're, you're just hoping. And, so, and the other way I looked at it as well is, so going back to the Chris Judd trade, which was a big trade, they they obviously moved out Chris Judd and were able to ring in Josh Kennedy and a bunch of draft picks, and that's a tick. Since then, and I looked at the guys that have been traded out of West Coast, so who West Coast have either drafted in or bricked up and then got value out of going the other way, they've got none. They mm-hmm. traded Callum Sinclair uh, three or four years after Judd for Jeddah. Uh, they've traded Tom Hickey out and got a pick 42, and then it came down to last year where Willie Rioli forced his way out, and they ended up getting a pick 16 for Willie Rioli. But those are the only three, and, and Jared Brander, who you just brought up, who mm. I think they sort of got left, you know, let go for almost nothing. Yep, they're the only four players that have actually been traded out of West Coast, so they haven't been able to get value. So again, I feel feel like 
another big part of it is you know re-signing players to longer term contracts and really backing in their players maybe when they shouldn't have. Mm. I, I look at it as well as their list management. They, they haven't really moved on players to get value coming in the other way. So they've started getting a bit more value in the draft the last couple of seasons. So Ruben Jimby comes in, Elijah Hewitt, um, Campbell Chesser hasn't played a lot of footy but had a delayed start to his yeah. career. So they are getting these higher draft picks the last couple of seasons. However, you can't see this being a quick fix regardless oh, of what not happens, be a quick whether it's fix. Simpson involved, whether it's Nisbet there, whether you know that they change everything with their yeah. their list management strategy and all that kind of I stuff. Think the, so, sorry, but I think the strength and conditioning is the, it was the first step because this isn't just this year. This has been a trend for three years now. Injuries. With the, with the Eagles, yeah. Like a crazy amount of injuries. Um, I think, to I agree with you, but also to Christian's point, having to bring in players who are probably underdone considering they mm. have you know, 27, 26 to choose from at different times obviously yeah. doesn't help as well. You're kind of one arm behind your back. Um, so the case for and against shipping pick one this year, because they're probably getting pick one, which means they're probably getting Harley Reid in the books. But is it worth trying to split what is arguably one of the more the safest, certainties, yeah. certainties of number one pick. You talked about, we've talked about in the past about how, you know, the drafts in 2020 and 2021 where they were COVID affected and we couldn't quite see enough of the youngsters to get a real grasp of how or who the talent was going to be. Mm. Reed seems to be a consensus like, you know exactly what you're going to get. Yeah. Teams would pay for that. Teams higher up the ladder, looking to take the next step. Is it worth splitting that and getting two inside the top 20 or three it, inside the top 20? Well, yes, but it would imagine how disastrous it would disastrous it would be if the players you pick up are, you know, in three or four years' time are names that we look back three or four years ago and we're just reading out before and you think, gee, we could have had this guy and then what what Reed turns out to be. Mm. There's a massive risk in it but at the, on the flip side of it, you know, if you can do what, I know it's Port Adelaide's draft of 2018, was it, with, with Butters and Rosie, like you can do what they, they did and nail two, two picks, I think it was five and twelve, mm. I mean, it just sets you up. Yep. Like, but but, how often does that happen? Well, we were looking um, yesterday. We were just sort of going through a list of pick ones, pick twos, pick threes, mm. pick fours, pick fives. It's a bit of a crapshoot, realistically, in terms of like you can get, you know, number three over time mm. has been as successful as number one in terms of. Games I think in the impact. last ten years, you, there's maybe only one, two max where you can pick one definitively say pick one was the best player of that draft. Yeah. So. You know, if you can split it and have a couple of shots at nailing your pick three mm. and then pick eight or whatever you might get in terms of a package. But what would you get? This yeah, is see, the... and again, with West Coast, you've got to be internal with this. I wouldn't be going there and sort of bartering with it 17 clubs and seeing what we can get. I, if I'm trading Harley Reid, I know exactly what I'm trying to get for him. It's two dra- like, and, and they have to set the market. If they want two draft picks and they have to both be in the top 10 or they want three draft picks in the top 20 plus a 25-year-old player, mm. they can't just sort of just let it out and go to the best bidder. They need to go with a plan saying, yep. we need this. If we don't get this, we'll take mm. Harley Reid. We need these bandings of yeah. these picks because we want this yeah. guy and, and this I, guy. And I don't think getting pick five and 12 and having a crap a crack at those two picks is good enough for me if Harley Reid's so sitting what there. Is so good enough? again, a, a clear, and it's, you've got to be internal and it's got to be more than one year, but you've got to have a clear plan and this has got to be your first sort of step in that plan of, all right, we need to bring in three midfielders, so therefore we want to get three draft picks for Harley Reid and take midfielders with each of them. Or they may, may say, we need a 26-year-old to come in here and be mm. ready. So, you know, we're looking, you, you can throw up names, you know, willy nilly, but there's there's WA blokes out there like Chad Water or Shy Bolton or and, and players like that where you go, okay, maybe a draft pick and Shy Bolton might be enough to get pick one across to Richmond and get him back to Perth and things like that. So, I yeah. think with them, it's it's got to be more. 
It's got to be more on their terms. They need to know exactly what they're looking for. Nail that. If they don't find that, move on. Don't just take the best deal that comes for it just to to have more picks. Ultimately, self-inflicted to what West Coast did to themselves. Kept going for one more year after the flag. Mm. Kept holding on to the veterans, signing them to long deals, and just it all kind of fell out from within. Within, yeah. And the and the trade off is, or I guess you got to ask West Coast fans this: like, do you take that? You know, you won a premiership five years ago. Yeah. The club is, like we have said three times already on this episode, it's at rock bottom now. But do you sort of take Famous that? Last words. Do you sort yeah. of take that? Like, it, you know, if I if I offered the same thing to you as a Carlton supporter, would would you take that? Yeah, I probably would. Yeah. So yeah. so. You kind of expect it. I mean, this is an this is an extreme case of of a, a drop off, um, and I I I believe they're going to be last or at best second last on the ladder for the next three years. Um, but you know, if if you can say can boast a premiership in the last sort of five years, then it's not all doom and gloom. Uh, another query you brought to me. Sorry to borrow a phrase of yours. Query uh, you brought to me uh, in the me? office yesterday. Yes, you, Jake. Uh, it was about James Sicily. So the Hawks on the weekend. Uh, Look, started pretty well. Three goals in the first term against the Suns. You thought oh, they looked this pretty be, good early. This would be a good game. Potentially, we might see another a bit bit of a boil over. But the last quarter in particular, it was the opposite of the Suns' performance against Carlton. Yeah, just it's, yeah, finished well-ish, but started really poorly. But the Suns uh, piled on, you know, five goals in the last five minutes. Um, and and Hawthorne two goals after quarter times, a bit of a dire return. Mm. And it got you thinking about the importance that James Sisley has in that lineup and just how good he is. Uh, and then when you take him out of that side, how different they look. Just the eye test. Yeah, so it is. It's the eye test. And they're. it's hard because you can sort of... I know Christian can look at the you know how Hawthorne go with and without him. But with a lot of players, they don't miss that many games. So you don't have a great sample size. And then you can then you say, well, hang on a minute. They were playing against Port Adelaide when, they, when he mm. wasn't playing the first time. But your eye tells you Hawthorne is such a better team when he's... Uh, in the back line because he does think they're giving up six goals quick oh sorry five goals in a row mm. kind of like they did towards the back end of that game yeah. if he's in that back line yeah so is he the most important player to their team in the league it's a really tough question I, I think he's got to be in the top couple like I really do think think that uh, people might disagree with this one but I the other one I reckon is right up there is uh, Patrick Dangerfield still Geelong is a far scarier team when he's playing in the midfield yeah. And when and the and the games he's missed, I mean, we we've seen Geelong get beaten up through the midfield when he's not there, and the, the difference he he adds. I mean, they're, if, they're, if you're if you're playing, if you're a it's whatever you know, you're a Carlton supporter. If Carlton's playing Geelong tomorrow, and you can take one player out of that Geelong team, for me, it's Jeremy Cameron. Mm. Well, Even though he's, he's been down out. the last few weeks, <laughs> yeah, of course he is. Yeah. Yes, um, and we'll get to that later as well. Uh, but you would take Dangerfield out of that team? Uh probably. Yeah. Okay. I think I think most of it starts with him. The eye test says one thing, but do the stats... I know it might be a bit of a smaller sample size, but do the stats say that the Hawks are a different side without their skipper? Yeah, so there's... I mean, they've only had him... He's only missed two games in the last two years, so they've both been in recent weeks around 12 against Port Adelaide and this week against Gold Coast. So the quick qualifier on this is Hawthorne. In those two games, they conceded 72 inside 50s to Port Adelaide and they conceded 68 inside 50s to Gold Coast. That's their two highest tallies conceded this year. So not much James Sicily in or out of the team can do about that. That's uh, the ball just being leaked out of the midfield and getting in there. So that that hasn't helped their defence. But again, with Sicily, 90 points per game uh, conceded. Without Sicily, 126 points per game for the Hawks in those two games. So 
Points from turnovers, in, it's it's the way that teams score, though. So points from turnover, with Sicily, they concede 57 points per game from turnovers. Without Sicily, it's 60 points per game. So, so, he, so what that's telling us is that when the ball is turned over, he's able to, to marshal the back line, um, float into... 57 to 60. Exactly, 57 to 60. It's no change. So it's oh, right. basically saying... So in the, in a turnover game, so that's the game's a bit more random in turnover. You don't know where you're going to... You know, one mm. team has the ball and they turn it over, intercept it. They're, they're still holding up the same way, Hawthorne, in terms of conceding a score from that. It's from the clearances that's really hurt them. So with Sicily right. and the team, they're conceding 28 points from clearances and nine points per game from center bounce clearances. Without Sicily and the team, it's 63 points per game from uh, from clearances, which is, uh, you know, six six goals more, and 24 points per game from center bounce clearances, which is, you know, three goals more per game. So, so that is that... The player's stopped. You know where the ball is. You know where you're supposed to be set yeah. up. Everyone's in their right spot. Hawthorne seem to be yeah. disorganised in that part of the yeah. game without Sicily. Interesting. So yeah. I guess well, he's that... not just. Well, he was. He's, he's been the captain of the the back line, not just captain of the team, but he was yeah, the yeah. captain of that back line for for a long period of time. Where he he is, he's telling people where to be. He's setting everything up. Um, and the beauty of Sicily is he can play that loose floating role in amongst it all, um, or lock down on on a key forward. And importantly, he he rebounds really well. Yeah, at all. I he mean, you ta- look at the rebounding more marks numbers. than any player in the comp. He rebounds. He um he he sets up a lot of it. We that game against St Kilda a few weeks back. I think he had more score involvement than any player on the ground. Yeah, he launches the chains. Whereas you look at the bigs that Hawthorne had in the game against the Suns, and and you know, it was like nine disposals, nine disposals, eight disposals for for guys in that back line who were sort of above sort of one ninety mm. centimeters. And I know Blake Hardwick had a good game, but um, it just wasn't it just it just was it was wasn't the same. Yeah. Just didn't have the same sort of dynamism coming out of the back half and and setting up defensively, and it was quite noticeable. He, yeah, he's a gun player. Who would be the other sort of uh, candidates for for most important player? Someone threw out Stephen May before for the D. I was going to say a lot of a May's lot of my one. attention just goes to the defense. defenders. When yeah. I, when I think of it, I'm thinking yeah, it's probably more the defense. Well, it's probably line. someone like Patrick Cripps for the Blues for a long time. Mm. Uh, and uh, yeah, who would you take out of the lines and be most happy with? Harris Andrews. For, for me, it would probably be Lockie Neal. Lockie Neal. I, I just think that I still think we take him out and the the depth in the midfield, everyone sort of gets shuffled up a spot and then it just they do look a bit light in the midfield. Mm, interesting. Uh, is he the best player who's played a decent amount of games to not have been All Australian? Well, it's so this is an interesting one. So I think he's the second. He's had the second best career of a current player to not be named All-Australian. Right. So that's an important distinction here. Best career to date. Not best player because we know Nick Dacos, Zach Butters, what they're doing this year, Jordan Dort. They haven't been All-Australian. We kind of expect probably all three of them will be this year. Um, but best career to date of a current he's player. He's 28. So he's, he's, yeah. he's been around for 10 years. Yeah. Um, I think it's Tex. I really think it's Taylor Walker. Who's 30? Who's 30. He's older. Plus he's 30, thir- yeah. 32, 33. Um, he has never been all Australian, which would probably might surprise a few people, but you know, when you play as a you're a key forward, it's you've got two spots, maybe a third sometimes to get. And if you're not top two or three in the Coleman And he's had you, some stiff usually, competition in recent years. Yeah, you're Lance usually Franklin. not getting it. So um yeah, like I said, I think that would Josh probably Kennedy. surprise a yeah. few people, but now leading the Coleman, he's in pole position for his first and um I imagine that's gotta be one of the oldest first all Australian Blazers, in terms of how old you are when you get your first one, I can't imagine too many people would have got it older than. Is he thirty three? Yeah, yeah. Um, best pound for pound thirty plus year old in the league, Christian. 
Well, he's got yeah. a lot of pounds, Tex. <laughs> no, you know what I mean. Like, in terms of, like, for, weight for age kind of thing. So, yeah. the, so the best way to run it, with, so we use relative rating. So a lot of that time we use that for younger players, like how you're performing as a 21-year-old as a ruckman compared to all other 21 We did an episode on this year last year, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Um, so you can use that to the older players as well. So you can look at, you know, over 30s and who are still performing and outperforming other sort of players in that position. He, he is third this year in the relative ratings for over 30-year-olds. So Tom Liberatore is the number one 30-year-old. So he's plus 34% for a midfielder this Good year, season. the way he's performing. And, and, and again, I think we've spoken about him three or four weeks that mm. he is sort of flying under the radar, well, if he, you will. he has for his whole career, hasn't yeah. he? Yeah. Uh, second is Jared Witts, another one that's just the constant at, at Gold Coast, uh, plus 31% for a ruckman. Again, a 31, 32-year-old ruckman that's still doing so much of the ruck work is, is rare. You probably start to drop off at that, at that age. And then Taylor Walker, plus 29% for a key forward. And I looked at Walker. I mean, he was negative 25%. I think it was 2019 or 2020. It's the only year he's been below his relative rating. So no matter what age he is, he seems to outperform other key forwards at the same age. Um, so this year, I don't think it's his, it's, I don't think it's his best relative rating of, you know, of his career, but he's definitely up there in the competition. Mm. So he kicked... Um Going into this season, the, the the two years prior, he'd kicked 95 goals in, I think, 35 games, which is average output per game was, I think that had him sort of top three or four mm. in the comp in that time. The other thing, because doing a lot of research on him in the preseason when I was putting compiling my 50 best players, which he was in, I think he was about in the 30s somewhere, and a lot of people were surprised by that, but he was one of the top score involvement players of the, that two-year period, and I, I'm pretty sure from memory... He had the uh, the highest percent of score involvements for for any player in the league in terms of how many per disposal. How well how many score involvements he has for the crows for the crows. Oh, right, yeah, right. it was like forty. He was involved in like forty percent or something like that, which was more than any player for their team. So I think he's been he he had that drop off after you know when the crows came so close, and then the the years after that, twenty twenty was a really down year, I think, and then but he's. The way he's resurrected his career has just been remarkable. I don't think anyone's expected it. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, good on Tex. See if he makes that first blazer. That'd be interesting what do you to reckon? keep an eye on. What do you reckon? Does he get it? No, it's a bit early to tell, isn't it? Well, that's why I'm asking you. <laughs> um, sure. Let's yeah. give it to him. Yeah. Right. Fair enough. Uh, <laughs> segment we've been bringing in this year on the pod is uh, the key stat from every game. Uh, last of the bye weeks, Jake. Six games only to get through. Um, mm. Finally. I think the bye weeks are over. A bit of a bit of a slog, aren't they? Yeah, they are a slog. How would you how would you fix it? I don't know. Do we just get rid of them? Do we need the bye? Yeah, I think just have a week off. Have a week off. Have have the mid season draft. Have a mid season trade period. Hmm. I don't know. I'm a bit torn on it. I I, I used to think that I liked it being spread out over more, so you have so you have um, more games each week. But we ended up having six the last couple of weeks anyway, and they've been average. Mm. Uh, well, except for uh, Sunday, which we'll get to a little bit later. But Thursday night, Geelong and Melbourne, pretty tight for a, a while there. And then the Cats just sort of kind of really wrested momentum away and, and sort of ran away with the match in the in the last quarter. How did you see that? Yeah, so again, down at GMHBA, it's not a finals venue, but I looked at that game and it was really finals sort of tension and, and it, the state of play was really finals-like in that game. So for the What does that mean? Does that just mean like tight, well, contested? I mean, a few of the numbers. So, yeah, <laughs> equal fourth highest contested possession rate of any game this season. So 49% of, uh, 46% of the possessions won in that game by both teams were from a contest. That's mm. the fourth highest. Uh, second most post-clearance tackles of any game this season. So we talk about in tight and stoppages being quite easy to tackle at. This was actually chasing in general play and sort of a lot of tackles applied out in general play. 
Uh, even the kick ratings for each team was the third lowest of the round for Geelong and, and the lowest for Melbourne. So we talk about kick rating does take into account how much pressure you're under and um, whether you're hitting the target under and under a lot of pressure. They were all just missing the targets, both teams all night, sort of on the turnover. And, and it was just, yeah, it was just a hard-fought game, I thought. So, again, it was just exciting to see those two teams. Again, Geelong's not in the top eight yet, but the way they played that game and won it, I, I feel like they're pretty comfortable that they should be in finals and mm. they're sort of playing a finals brand of football already. Uh, your mate Gary Rowan had a pretty decent game, Jake. Uh, he did. About time. It's the it's the Gary Rowan explosion once uh, once a year. Well, it's so not about well, time because he's actually been good for a nearly exactly. Month. So we use 15, 15 rating points as a pretty good game um, for most position. That's a, that's an elite game. So he's had fifteen rating points in three straight games for the first time in his career. So string stringing together a little bit of consistency. There you go. Shame uh, shame you knocked out Jeremy Cameron. Yeah, we'll get to that a bit later. I did say that off the top. Uh, interesting one that I saw from that game, and you've got it written down here, is that Geelong were nailing and taking a lot more shots from outside. Uh, 30 compared to the D's and we're nailing them yeah so 8-8 eight, eight from outside 30 for Geelong so 8 goals 8 behinds uh, and 3 goals 4 from within so just yeah taking all those shots from outside 30 whereas Melbourne was 1 goal 5 from outside 30 and 7-9 from within so they were really trying to get closer to goal uh, again it, it's sometimes that can be you know a better performing forward line actually gets the ball closer to goal usually, mm-hmm. but Geelong were probably happy to sort of yeah hit up the right targets 40, 50 out and have, and have shots from there. Just just riffing on this one, but because it's a thinner ground, it means that the angles I guess from deeper are probably aren't as aren't as uh, yeah yeah. So if you're more confident cute. having a shot from further out, it's probably not as bad as if you're deep mm-hmm. in the pocket at the G thirty five. I buy out. that. Yeah, you buy that. Mm-hmm. I like that. Fair enough. Uh, St Kilda and Brisbane. Now, Harris Andrews, we talked about intercept marks a few weeks ago and kind of the, a trend of having a lot more and, and how 9, 10 is the record. Well, ten's the, equal 10 is the record? Yep. 10 is the equal record, my apology. So Harris Andrews had 9 on the weekend against the Saints and, and the Lions just controlled the ball. Yeah, so 14 intercept possessions, 9 of those intercept marks. So he just, yeah, he, he repelled everything that went uh, sort of down. And there's that theory line. again, just a lot more intercept marks. Yeah, exactly. And, I, and and even watching the commentary, they were across it. They remembered that, you know, there was 10 taken a few weeks ago by Darcy Moore and Liam Jones. So they're all across, you know, intercept marks is at the forefront of most people's mind now. Uh, but yeah, it was sort of up the other end in that game anyway. So the Lions actually scored 46 of their 84 points from Saints back half turnovers. So we know Ross Lyons been playing a pretty perfect sort of... I like to sort of look at his game style, and it's almost like chess. It's not like football anymore. He just has the right people in the right spot. It's very slow ball movement protecting, and, and they've sort of been pretty safe with the ball in hand, and they don't get scored against too often from the back half. But, yeah, Brisbane were able to intercept it and just score, yeah, as I said, almost more than 50% of their points came from St Kilda turning over in the back half. So just a few cracks starting to appear. As I said, Ross Lyon's game plan is so highly strung, and, it, and a lot of it needs to be perfect, and it a few things are just starting to drop away in recent weeks and some of their ball movement was uh, yeah, really dire the other night. Mm. Uh, we did touch a lot on Sydney and West Coast uh, and a lot of the stats we've already been through, but one that you that we do have down there is sort of 50 scoring shots to nine, so plus 41 scoring shots. Yeah, that was the number that got me, so I, I didn't think I'd seen a number like that before. Uh, since 99, it's the second biggest, so there was a plus... Four, so this is even more scoring shots than the infamous round 19-2011 game the scoring shots weren't a bigger differential so Hawks had 42 more scoring shots than GWS in 2012 uh, back when the Giants were babies so yeah 41 more scoring shots um, across the game is yeah the second biggest differential in the last 25 years or so one of the uh, one of the things I couldn't believe from this game was so Chad Warner Isaac Heaney combined for 37 score involvements 
that was more than the entire Eagles team. And when you think score involvement, that's not like a, a goal assist or a score. That's an involvement. So you could have 10, 10 players could get an involvement in a chain yeah. that results in a behind. To have two players get more, tally more than the entire Eagles team is just unheard of. Yeah. Uh, Dockers, again, one of those sides where you can get the best from them one week and then the worst from them the next. Well, they were pretty good against the Dons, uh, who would have probably fancied themselves, I think, heading over to Perth and, and trying to sort of cement themselves in that top eight. What did you notice from that game? Yes, a couple of things. So just smashed out of the centre. Frio were able to smash it out of the centre. So 28 points to one from centre bounces. So plus 27 there is almost the whole game margin. Uh, speak about Essendon and, and their whole season this year has been about uh, pure ball movement and ball movement from the back half and, and being able to cleanly go from end to end. They scored 21 points from back half, which is their fewest in any game this season, three goals below their season average. So they just weren't able to move the ball from one end to the other. But the interesting one I'm starting to look at as well, just a little bit of a watch. So Liam Henry had uh, 29 disposals, mm. 27 uncontested possessions from those 29 disposals, 505 metres gained. So it was a career high night for him. But sort of looked at his opponent, Nick Martin. So I sort of spoke about Liam Henry had 29 disposals. Nick Martin spent 77 minutes on Liam Henry and another 30 minutes on, on, on sort of various other opponents. He conceded 41 disposals for the night, Nick Martin. Um, is so that, I looked, is, he, is want... Nick Martin the kind of guy where you don't mind it because when he gets the ball and is thinking offensively, he's using it so well that you but might get You could get say hurt. that about so many players, though. I mean, you've still got to be accountable both ways. Well, we talk about Nick Dacos a lot and the, the ability of teams or the willingness of teams to just let him go, thinking they might be able to damage the other way. Is it kind of the same thing with someone like Nick Martin, who's a smart ball user? Yeah, and I think so. So Champion Data, we've sort of come out with a new measure that sort of had him in the top five or six players for in terms of expected position. So as a winger, he was outperforming other wingers by about 8 or 9% early in the season, which sort of put him as the fifth best player in the competition. But I did look at it and sort of said, yes, well, he is. And same as Essendon, they're really, really good with the ball. And Nick Martin's really valuable when he gets the ball. But I've had a look at his matchups across the season. So notice the Liam Henry one. He had a big game against where he conceded a lot of disposals to Travis Boak and, and things like that. He actually has the <laughs> third worst defensive rating of any player in the competition, Nick Martin. So he's had nine matchups of 40 minutes or more. Mm. And eight of those guys have performed at least twenty percent better than their usual so season average. Sword, die so, by the sword. Well, yeah. So should this is the where I get a little frustrated. So should he be in the All Australian team because he's he's the front runner for a wing position in the All Australian team? You're big on not giving a crap about players' positions in the All Australian team in terms of wingmen because you'd prefer to have someone like a, and I think to use a quote from earlier in the season, you prefer to have a Zach Butters on the wing even though he doesn't play wing than a Nick Martin or a Josh Dacos. 100%. If someone like Jordan Dawson's going to miss out on a spot in the All Australian team because we're going to have Josh Dacos and Nick Martin in, I mean, that's just ridiculous no, in I'm my the opinion. complete opposite. It's the All Australian team. you got to you got to reward people. You can't just put the best players in and just... Like yeah, why would you pick a key defender? Just have twenty three midfielders. No, no, they're the best players in the competition. You, you, so, def so obviously defenders and forwards are completely separate. But midfielders. But why? No, so you got to look at the wing roles. Would you, what would you rather, Nick Martin? If if if. No, no, Adelaide but I'm looking at... No, on, you've got to look at the way a team no, sets up. They if, set up with two wingers all now. If, Every single team has... Eight, eight, I understand eight. that, but so if Adelaide said to Essendon... You can't just disregard that position in the team of the year. If Adelaide said to Essendon, we'll give you Jordan Dawson now for Nick Martin, but he has to play on the wing. They're not doing it. They're going to say, no, nah, our guy's are a lot That's better. That's not what the All-Australian nah. team's doing. The All-Australian is rewarding the a season in a position. You've got to reward the season. Uh, a bit of Luke Jackson praise. Been pretty good since about round eight. Yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, looking at him, he's sort of the third-ranked ruckman in that time. Um, top 20 in score involvement. So a little bit of that was without Sean Darcy, but he had a big game with Sean Darcy in the team now. So I think he's just starting to find his confidence and his feet in terms of, I don't the need to play. Yeah, yeah. I, I wanted to play 100% ruck. They gave me a few weeks in it. 
got my confidence up. Now he's actually having an impact forward forward of the ball as well. Luke Ryan, 18 marks for the game. Yeah, it's a pretty high number. Yeah, and like looked at him as a few times that when he takes over 15 marks, it's usually a problem for Frio. Mm. So sometimes he actually averages less marks when they keep the ball off him. But yeah, he had a big night where he just controlled the ball and, and you know, sort of, yeah, was their main switch guy across the night. Speaking of uh, potential All-Australian wingmen, Josh Dacos and Nick combined for a 70-disposal game. Well, don't, done, put, don't put Nick on the wing. They've, they've done that a few times uh, in, their, in their careers when they've been playing together. Yeah, so they're up to three um, of 39, and I know that the first time I ever looked at Brothers and 70 Disposals was for this podcast probably Crouchies, four yeah. years ago now. It was, the, it was the Crouch Brothers who were clear front runners. So they did it six times in their 69 games together. Magic. Um, so as I said, the Dacosses are at three for 39. I think they'll easily overtake that within the next couple of years. Uh, pretty good game on, on Sunday. There are a couple of really interesting moments too, I think, as the, as the game wore on. You talk about... Mason Cox and his little sort of point celebration and then the skirmish. And then from there, he, the lo- pies. he loves a bit of a skirmish, Mason, doesn't he? Ben Keyes coming and ripping off the glasses got a fine. I think that's fair enough, too. I don't think you can be taking protective equipment from the player. Did you see uh, ben, ben Keyes' backside? Did you see that? Yeah. That was interesting. Go and, go and Google that if you haven't so, seen um, it. So Rory Laird was on a, on a radio spot uh, the, uh, afterwards and had to defend him and said he, ha- he hadn't soiled himself. <laughs> it was just he must have like fallen over at that. <laughs> it looked like it, didn't it? <laughs> If you haven't seen that, we'll try and find a photo. Maybe we'll put it on the socials uh, at Footy Tips. But Crows have been stiff. Played the Pies twice this mm. year. Lost by a cumulative three points. So if one goes the other way, they're fifth on the ladder. If two go the other way, they're comfortably fifth on the ladder. Because mm. it stands, they're eighth. Is, uh, are they playing finals, the Crows? Um, they're around the mark. I think they'll finish somewhere between eighth and ninth. It's, not a, it's not a big... It's a, Margin, but yeah, somewhere around there. I think they're they're probably not quite a, the fifth best team, but I think they'll probably fall a few spots. But they can for sure. They're yeah. playing well, playing good. Seem to play footy. well against Collingwood. Um, it's a good sort of measuring stick. Yeah, is this a rivalry? Has this because I think the 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 previous game before that was tight as well. What makes a rivalry a modern day rivalry? I don't I don't want to throw you under the bus, but I did see a stat. Um, I need someone to ratify it for me. But they've played in terms of the over their history. They've played a lot of really close mm. games going back many, many years. Yep. Um, you know, it's just some off the top of the head. The Chris Tarrant one, yep. um, Mitch McGovern, um, the the two this year. I mean, like, there are a lot of that sort of stick in the memory as, as quite close games. The final, the right in front of me as well. Yeah. yeah. So, um, I don't know. Maybe, maybe it is a bit of a sneaky rivalry. Because I think we tend to say rivalry, you know, like someone Big was saying, class. you know, Geelong Hawthorne. It's like, was it a rivalry or they were just the two best teams of that sort of time that yeah. played each other a lot? Does it become a rivalry? There seemed to be a bit of... I think in both games this year, there's been a bit of... Argy-bargy. Yeah. Which, um, I don't know. Wouldn't be mad if that was a final. Yeah. Finals, at, real finals atmosphere. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and the Suns and the Hawks, like I said, that last... Just, wait, just quickly on yeah. that. Who, who was the better player, Dawson or Dacos? <sighs> who had the better game? Who deserves the three votes? Well, who did you give in your Brownlow predictor? Um, Dawson. You can find that at espn.com.au forward slash AFL. Yeah, I think Jordan Dawson just a little bit. And just a quick one on Jordan Dawson. I sort of had a look at him and... You know, as a fearless leader that he is, looked at him against top eight teams versus and against bottom ten teams this year. So obviously, you know, putting in West Coast in that bottom ten bracket, usually you have more comfortable games against bottom ten and your numbers will be bigger. So he's had twenty eight disposals against top eight, twenty eight point three against top eight teams, twenty eight per game against bottom ten teams, and so no no difference there. Contest possession rate against top eight teams, forty five percent of his possessions are won from a contest. 30% against bottom eight, uh, bottom 10 teams. So it's almost like in those games, he's, you know, four and a half clearances per game 
uh, under three when he plays bottom 10 and seven more pressure acts when he plays the top eight team. So the top eight team, he really inserts himself into the contest, wins a lot of the hard ball and he, you can find him inside. But then again, he's also a beautiful user. So you mm. play in a weak team and you let yep. young guys go and crack it in and then feed the ball out to Dawson, who's it, one of the best kicks in the he's team. He's almost the perfect like prototype midfielder because he can go in at the contest and win contested ball. He's as good a user as any on the outside. Tackles as, as much as anybody. Yeah, he can push forward. He, he, his ball going inside fifty is as good as any. Hits targets. I think he had three goal direct goal assists in the first half. Kick, can kick goals too. I mean, he he was a free kick away from potentially joining the two after the siren match winning goals club. Gary Rowan, which I think is just Gary Rowan off the top of my head. Um, yeah. So yeah, he, he's a phenomenal player, and I don't think many people saw this rise coming. Uh, yeah, good points. Well, well made. Uh, Gold Coast Suns versus Hawthorne. Um, we talked about the sort of the procession late in the piece, but overall, Jake, couple of performances from I don't want to say, maybe, I don't want to say lesser lights, but players we've been really waiting to kind of stand up. You talk about Ben Ainsworth, Braden Fiorini. These guys had some had really good games, and and maybe that's a platform that this club can use to build as they try and seek out their first finals appearance yeah I think everyone talks about and rightly so um, Noel Randerson and Matt Rowell have been great in the midfield throughout the year but yeah there are like Fiori- Braden Fiorini um, has probably his best game in two or three years Will Powell's had a really yep. good year as well um, and same with Ainsworth McPherson's fi- uh, has found a spot I think they're and this, they're doing this without the guy that everyone would have said is comfortably their best player uh, at the start of the year in Tuke Miller who might be back this week or next um, so <laughs> I feel like every week we flip-flop on can they make finals nah they're cooked I don't know I don't know anymore and I'm sick of speculating on them because they for every step forward they take they seem to take one back but I do like watching the Suns and I think they're a better team now than they were 12 months ago any thoughts on that game? Yeah, so we sort of spoke, I mean, we spoke about James Sicily being out in the Hawks' defence, but it was probably up the other end uh, even. So it was plus 31 inside 50s for Gold Coast, so it was just yeah, one-way traffic and a procession, as Matt just said. But when it went inside Hawthorne's forward 50, they had a pressure factor of 121, which is the lowest forward 50 pressure, act of any side, pressure factor of any side this year. So yes. when it did go in, it was just, they kick a goal, you know, they kicked the first three goals of the game from the first seven inside 50s, but other than that, they kicked it in and Gold Coast would just waltz it back out, so... Uh, very good. Um, we did. There was one actually. We, there's one thing we forgot to do when we were talking about the Eagles, and we might bring this up now. It's actually a good one. No, no. Another thing that you brought up during the week was um, the yeah, fact I brought that, up a lot this week. Oh, you're coming with a lot of ideas. It's been very good. Uh, be ashamed to see you go for two weeks to <laughs> Italy. Uh, Oscar Allen. You notice that he's just kicking a lot of West Coast goals. Yeah, it feels very much like Brendan Favola at the Blues. A, <laughs> well, I was gonna say a decade ago, but probably even probably longer, longer now. Um, yeah. So. I think it was off the top of my head. It was about, it was around a third, a third yeah, so of twenty twenty nine point seven percent to be yeah. exact of their goals he's kicked this year. So you have to go back to Jack Rewalt in twenty ten. So I didn't go any once I found the number that was higher. I didn't go back further. So maybe Fev would have been higher. Uh, Buddy in 08 as well with Hawks goals, but Jack Rewalt kicked thirty one or thirty two percent of Richmond's goals in twenty ten. Goals or their t- total score? They're, just their goals. So if you drop it to score this year, I think. Um, because yeah. he's pretty accurate. He probably doesn't kick too many. Yeah, Oscar, Oscar Allen, I think it was 31% of their overall score this year, which is only right. fourth highest in the comp. So there's some other guys that have had more, you know, yeah. and that's that's looking at sort of uh, uh, goals behinds and your score assist as well. So how, how much direct score involvement you had. 
Uh, but yeah, only Jack Rewalt in 2010 was a higher percentage um, than Oscar Allen for percentage of goal kicks. Um, third highest was a sort of a surprising one was 29, almost close to 30%, 29.5% for Mitch Clark from Melbourne in 20, uh, 2012, I think it was. He only played half a season. For that half a season, I remember he was sort of, he was going to be their saviour. He was mm. going to be the next big thing in, in football. And I remember that half a season he played. So that was pretty important for him as well. But in terms of, I looked at a few other things, like how much they're targeting him inside 50. He's the fifth most targeted player. So they're, mm. they're not With putting it on said, him too much. It's just that he's the only one that kicking goal. But it's yeah. not like they're kicking it to him five times more than anyone else. And it's not as if they're, it's limited opportunities, the, the inside 50s. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think for him to be, to, for him to have kicked 35 goals this year um, and only Walker, Kerno, Cameron, Larky and Green having kicked more is a phenomenal effort in a team that is not getting miles looks. away from everybody else. Yep. All Australian? Um, well, I actually, at the mid-year point of the season, I Youth was, I was putting, I was yeah. saying he, he deserves to be in He's it. been one of the most, and I know the team struggled, and the team, but he has been one of the most consistent yep. of all of them. Charlie, Kerno's been up and down, Jeremy Cameron. I had him Cameron. in it instead of Joe Danaher, and yeah. um, I got voted two to one Danaher got the spot. Yeah, it's it's a it's a tough one, but he'd be close on consistency. We're getting into red time of the podcast, proudly sponsored by Subway, which means it's time for is the hype justified or is it hyperbole? Got a few options here. I don't even know where to start. Um, Damien Hardwick has flagged his interest in coming back to coaching. Will he be coaching in twenty twenty four? Well, he probably he probably will. That's justified. But should he be? I mean, this is what frustrates me, and I spoke about it at the time. Like, if he was citing burnout for the reason to leave the Tigers. Why are you coming back so soon? I have no issue with him coaching it in further in his down the track. Like he's a great coach, he's proved that, and clubs would be lining up to get him. But I just thought I think it's a bit of a strange look. On that point, would clubs be more likely to move on a coach at the end of the year if they know that Hardwick is keen and willing? Probably. Yeah, I think well I think definitely. Interesting. Uh, but would you? But 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 who? So, I yeah. think there was talk about Ken Hinckley. I mean, I, I I can't. How can you possibly move on from Ken Hinckley now? That so would be you, unprecedented. If, if the Suns make finals, or if they get close. Well, yeah. I mean, yeah. That's potentially one. But West knows? Coast, if they decide to pull the trigger and pay out mm. Simo. Yeah, as I said, clubs would line up for him. I mean, he's a, he's proven that he's a a great coach, um, and. Will coach again, I have no doubt about it. But just to leave Richmond in probably, well, not probably, definitely the the lowest point since they broke through, mm. kind of leaves a bit of a sour taste in my mouth. Like, it wasn't like he left at the end of a season. He left mid-year, um, and now all of a sudden Richmond looks like they're everyone's, oh, don't let them get into the finals because they can cause damage. So, I don't know, it's a bit interesting. Uh, Tigers, one of the teams that have really pushed the lines up at the Gabba um, in terms of the last few years. We, we're talking about Brisbane's win-loss percentage at, at the Gabba. The Tigers almost caused the ball over. Yeah, the Tom Lynch decision, uh, infamously. So the statement is, the Tigers will upset the Lions at the Gabba, Christian. Uh, I'll still tip the Lions. So still three in a row to the Lions um, against Richmond. It's going back to 2019 at the Gabba. I think Richmond were four straight before that. Mm. Uh, yeah, still, again, 25 wins of their last 29 games at, at, at the Gabba. I was still going to back Brisbane on, on the night, but again, it was yeah two-point final margin in the result in the final last year. You could see it too. happening again. Yeah, Tigers has been looking good. Uh, Saturday afternoon's game against Collingwood is Gold Coast's biggest since Ablett. Biggest since Ablett. So, biggest game since he left the club? Yeah. Oh, 100%. Yeah, I think it's one of the top 
two maybe they've ever played. So 2014, I think it was round 15, um, they beat Collingwood. Mm. And that they went to nine and six, but that was the game Gary Ablett, was it his, his shoulder? shoulder yeah. yeah, didn't play again. And they went one and six for the rest of the season, missed out on finals in the seat. They were 12 and 10, I'm pretty sure, at the end of the year. So missed out. But that was as, that point after that game, that was as close as they'd ever been to playing finals. 10 and 12, I think. Because they haven't had a winning... 10 and 12. Yes. Sorry, I say 12 and 10. Yeah. Yeah, 10 and 12. Um, but that was as close as they'd been. If they somehow beat Collingwood, um, and I, I always joke about this, but there's something about that 4.35 p.m. twilight... Fox footy. Fox footy. No one's... Not as many people are watching it. Game up on the Gold Coast that it just screams danger game. And the Suns play better. Uh, as they should. Um, if they win, then... They will be as close as they were uh, nine years ago. Um, will they get it? There's certainly no guarantee because it is so congested in the middle part of the ladder. But they'll have, they'll be, they'll go into that last sort of six, seven rounds with a massive chance to do it, and something they haven't been able to do. Uh, Andrew Gaff wouldn't get a gig in any other team right now. So hard to. No, I don't think so. No, but, no but way. Again, but they're all just turned off. Like he's, you could still get. Gaff to you know come regenerate him or something, rejuvenate him or something because yeah. they yours all look so flat. Yeah, I'm sure that that it's not like if Andrew Gaff said I got to le- they delisted him and no other club would. I'm sure there would be another club that would tr- tr- you know try him out, but the way in which he's playing right now just looks exhausted. I mean, yeah, they all do. It, they look he exhausted. Just looks a yeah. shell of himself. And we've I think we might have spoken about it on here, but the the career arc he's he's had a very interesting career. Andrew Gaff, two time All Australian, but his career. Since missing that grand final with the the Andy Brayshaw punch, it's been it's just been a disappointing a downward moment. trend. Mm. Uh, last one before we wrap things up. God, you got a lot this week. I know. Yeah, we got to sort of churn. Come through on, them. come on. <laughs> Gary Rowan should have been suspended for his friendly oh, fire hit on Jeremy Cameron. Wondering when you're going to get to it. Of course he should have. <laughs> I mean, what's what are we doing? Severe here? impact, high contact, careless conduct, well, straight to the is. tribunal. So this, that's exactly it. Why? So it's a bad football move, is my thought. Hundred percent, and. You nailed it there. You just said it was careless, and it was careless. So we make that distinction when we when the MRO does the grading. Mm. Is it careless? Is it intentional? It's obviously not intentional. You know, don't want to take your own teammate up, so it's careless. So then why is it not treated like every other incident, which is careless? Because you would if, be stamping out the act if you suspended him. And which that's is the, what you should be doing. And this is what we keep talking about. It, it 100% should be a suspension. Now, it's in the rules that you cannot be suspended for rough conduct against your own teammate. So that's why. Yes. But my question is, why is that the case? I don't know why, but it makes sense to me. Like You can't... If you slide in and take out someone's feet of but we your teammate, get, it's not a free kick to that person because you've taken out someone's legs. Like, it, But we want to get rid of those I, I, those, shoulders. Yes. I and, get and if, it, but if you're that, knocking out your teammate every week, I think we'll get rid of those flying shoulders because it'll be like, is, shit, how often stop do we taking out my teammate. Exactly. I, I don't think you need a punishment at the tribunal no, I, I, to stamp out. I think out. you do. I think this yeah. is something that might happen once every three or four years, and I think you've got to treat it as, as the same as hitting... Cause like, was it Jake Lever that was... Um, in that contest with Cameron, right alongside him when it happened. I think mm. it was Lever, whoever it was. Had he copped that that stray, it'd be three weeks. Yeah. And, that, and that's that's like millimetres. Like, there, there's not much in that. So, no, I think it should 100% be a suspension and anyone arguing that it shouldn't even be cited, I, I just can't understand that. Uh, if you agree or disagree with Jake, let us know at Footy Tips on Twitter. I'll forward them onto him while he's sitting by a pool in Italy and he can <laughs> ruin his holiday. How about that? 
Sounds good. <laughs> All right. Uh, thanks to everyone for tuning in. Christian, good to speak with you as always. Uh, to everyone at home, we'll speak to you in the next episode. Listen to all the latest episodes by subscribing to the ESPN Footy Pod wherever you get your podcasts.